as you're grabbing your seats, go ahead and get your Bibles out and open them to Jonah chapter 2. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 2 today. It's only 10 verses long, and so we are going to cover chapter 2 in its entirety. But before we get there this morning, I wanted to read to you Romans chapter 12, verse 1, because I think it sets up this morning very well. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual Worship, And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning is that's the ideal, right? As we begin to, to read the book of Jonah, that's the ideal that we'd respond to God in obedience, that we would live uh, lives as living sacrifices, right? Holy and acceptable to him. But I was reminded this week in my study of a D.L. Moody quote. D.L. Moody said, the problem with living sacrifices are that they keep crawling off the altar, and so that's what we've seen so far in our study of the book of Jonah. Jonah is a believer in God. Uh, Jonah is commissioned by God to take a word to Nineveh. And Jonah crawls off the altar, right? Instead of responding to God in obedience and doing what God has asked him to do, Jonah decides uh, in rebellion he was going to go his own way. He was going to do his own thing. And so in a sense, he has crawled off the altar. And so this morning... We're going to be reminded that the Christian life is all about surrender and re-surrender and repentance, all right? And it's an ongoing thing. This is not just a one-time thing that happens when you came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. It's an ongoing surrender. It's an ongoing re-surrendering, and it's an ongoing act of repentance, right? And so it's every single day dying to self and recommitting to following Jesus Christ. And so uh, this morning we're going to see that this is, this is good news, that when we get off track, when we crawl off that altar, uh, God in his goodness and his mercy towards us and his love towards us, he will lead us back to a place of resurrender and repentance. And he does so through kindness. That's what the Bible tells us. It's actually God's kindness that leads us to repentance and repentance ultimately will lead to our restoration. And so that's where we're heading this morning. We're going to talk about what it looks like to be a follower of God that's, that's gone a little wayward, that comes to a place of repentance and is restored back to good and right relationship with God. And that is always a good thing. And we need to hear that, especially those that are believers in Christ in the room this morning uh, that may be, may be finding yourself in this place today. So let's pray together, and then we're going to unpack Jonah chapter 2 together. Father, we thank you again for all that you've done for us. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the challenge of it. God, I pray that this morning God, that you would challenge each one of us individually and very specifically. And I pray that you'd work on all of our hearts and all of our minds. God, I pray that we would be honest with who we are and where we're at in our relationship with you. God, I pray that we would be open, God, to, to recognizing that, that we're in a spot that maybe we shouldn't be, God. And I pray that you would, God, bring us back to yourself. God, I pray that you would remind us of, of, of the fact that you're, you're just one prayer away, God. All we need to do is cry out to you in repentance, God, and that you will meet us with kindness and mercy and grace. And ultimately, God, that you will bring us back to a place of restoration, which all of us so desperately need so often. And so, God, I pray that this morning would be encouraging. 
God, and that we would respond at the end appropriately, however you ask us to respond. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so Jonah chapter 2, we're going to start reading in verses 1 and 2. So Jonah chapter 2 is broken down into four nice little divisions. The first one comes in the first two verses here. So let's read uh, these verses together, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it. So Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried out, and you heard my voice. And so we see this in the, in the storyline here of, of the moment that God has brought in Jonah to that place of repentance, right? He's, he's finally got Jonah back to a place of, of re-surrendering his life to him. And it's honestly kind of fascinating what it took to get Jonah to this place, right? If you remember chapter 1, uh, it... it, it tells us that God comes up to Jonah and says, I want you to go to Nineveh, take this message. Uh, Jonah says, I don't think so. I don't want any part of that. He goes his own way. He begins to run from the Lord. Remember, we talked about last week that God loves us too much to let us go too far in the opposite direction, right? And so God runs Jonah down and he gets his attention and he has to hurl a great storm at him to, to get his attention. And even that doesn't get his attention, right? Jonah says, uh, at some point in chapter one, listen, just throw me overboard. Like I would rather die than be obedient to what God's calling me to do, which is a pretty uh, astounding place to be at in your relationship with the Lord. But we saw that he was complacent, right? He had become self-reliant and we saw that he was also hard hearted. And so um, that's what happened. The, the sailors grabbed him and they threw him overboard. And, and then in chapter two, it starts, then Jonah prayed. And like I said, before we, before we beat up Jonah too much, we have to remember ourselves in this story a little bit, right? How many of us have had that same experience, right? Where God has had to take us further than, than we would ever imagine to kind of get our attention and bring us back in good and right relationship with him, right? And so it, it seems extreme, but, but I know that to be true about my own life, right? Like this is, this is one of those classroom of life experiences that God continues to put me back into because I have to learn again and again and again, right? To not be self-reliant, to, to be in a place where I'm fully relying upon the Lord, a place of repentance in my, in my rebellion as well. And so we see that. We see that God has the uncanny ability to put us in situations that bring us to the end of ourselves. We talked about this as well last week, that God, God will start small, right? He starts with a switch, but he'll get the two by four if he has to, right? And it's all in the name of love. Like God, God, is, God is wanting to bring you back to himself. It's not just in the name of punishment, but he wants to rid you of every single drop of self-reliance. And that's where he has Jonah. He has Jonah in this place. And so now Jonah's overboard and Jonah is finally in a place where he's going, okay, maybe I'm not fully in control of this thing. Maybe, maybe I'm you know, not, not as, as awesome as I thought I was. Maybe God, I do need you more than I thought I did. But God now has Jonah in this place. He's taken that complacent and hard-hearted prophet and he's now tenderized Jonah's heart. Right? We see a fully surrendered 
Jonah in this morning. And one, I think one of the evidences that Jonah is at that place of full surrender is we, we don't see Jonah even reference his circumstance, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, like now he's, he's finally to the point where he realizes that, listen, it doesn't matter what's going on around me or where I'm even at. He's in the belly of a fish, by the way. And not one time in chapter two does Jonah ever reference being in the belly of the fish. It's not like that, Lord, like I trust you, but you need to get me out of the belly of the fish moment. Like he's just like, listen, I get it. It's just about me and you, Lord, and that's it. And so there's, there's no talk of the fish. There's no talk of circumstance. It's just simply Jonah recognizing that I'm at the end of myself and you're all I've got. Like, I would rather be in this mess with you than anywhere else. And that's exactly where God wanted to get Jonah to. He wanted to get him back to that place where that was Jonah's heart and Jonah's expectation. And so we see that begin to work and to develop into the story in those first two verses. Then we move on to the, the second part of the story here. So verses three through seven, we see that Jonah talks about his experiences. So this is once he's thrown overboard, this is Jonah talking about what he experiences out in the sea. So start reading with me in verse three. Jonah says, for you cast me into the deep. So we see right away that Jonah's now beginning to recognize God's divine hand in this whole experience, right? Like when he was still on the boat, he was still reluctant to address the Lord. He wouldn't even pray to the Lord. Remember, he's like, I, just throw me overboard. I, I, I would rather do that. Now, now that he's in the sea, which is oftentimes true for all of us, right? Now that he's, now that he's actually in the sea, he recognizes that God is moving and working in this situation. So he says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows, they passed over me. So God, uh, Jonah's even recognizing in this moment that, that God, you are your creator. Like these waves belong to you. You're in control of this entire situation, and I'm not. It's that moment, it's that moment in everybody's life when you finally get to the place where you go, listen, you are God and I'm not, right? That, that's, that's true surrender. That's that moment you see even in the book of Job where it's like, listen, I, I get it. You're in charge, and I'm not. I'm not, I'm not in control of, of anything in this situation, right? Your waves and your billows, they're passing over me. So now he finds himself out into the sea. He's fighting the waves. He's fighting the wind in this storm, right? And if you've ever been in, in, out in the sea in, in choppy water like that, you know uh, how scary that can be, right? And, and how, how little control you have. Like we, we know people that have been hurt very seriously just out in the ocean because of the power of it. You recognize very, very quickly that, that I don't have a lot of control in this situation. That's what Jonah's saying. He's saying, listen, I get it. I surrender. I'm not in control it's only you. Verse four is critical to our understanding of this passage. Verse four, he says, then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. So Jonah is saying, listen, I get it. Like this is, this is the end for me. I've been driven away from your sight. What I wanted, I'm now receiving, right? I wanted to be thrown in the ocean. I said in my arrogance and in my disobedience that I would rather be thrown into the ocean than do what you called me to do, Lord. But guess what? Now you're in the ocean. And it's a humbling experience, right? When God gets you in this place and he's brought Jonah, again, to the end of himself in this place of repentance, he's saying, this is what you did to get me there. I realized that I was driven away from your sight, that I was hopeless apart from you. You are my only way 
for salvation. And he says, yet I shall look upon your holy temple. It's that aha moment for Jonah. We talked about last week. It's the prodigal son where he realizes, wait, all I need to do is, is call upon the Lord. Right? Like I recognize that I'm powerless in this situation, that God, I have to be fully dependent upon you. And all I need to do is cry out to you, which we talked about in chapter one. All you had to do was cry out to the Lord on the boat. But Jonah's heart was still too hard in that moment. God had to do more work on his life to get him here. But now he's here. Look at verse five. He says, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. Listen, he, he's describing like I started out on, on the surface of the water and, and, and I realized real quick that I had no control of this. And then I began to sink. And as I began to sink, it says in there that uh, weeds were wrapped about my head as we were talking in between the services. Like if you're ever in the sea or the ocean and you're sinking to the bottom and you've got weeds wrapped around your head, that's not good, okay? You're in a bad spot. And you, you will realize very quickly that there is nothing that you can do in that moment. All you can do is hope that God might do something for you. And that's what he says. Look at verse six. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. This was it. I knew I was dead. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. How did God bring Jonah's life up from the pit? Well, look at chapter one, verse 17. Remember, it says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Listen, I, I know we've got people in the room that like you love some apologetic stuff and all that. And you're like, is it a whale? And what kind of fish has a big enough mouth and a throat and a belly to hold him? And like, Listen, like, like at the end of the day, none of that is as significant as the fact that God used it for mode of salvation. Okay, God can do anything that he chooses to do. The Bible tells us that he appoints a fish. And why? He appoints a fish to save Jonah. Because as Jonah begins to sink in the water, as Jonah begins to realize that I have no control in this situation and all I can do is cry out to the Lord, Jonah cries out to the Lord and God moves in the way that only God can move, right? He appoints a fish and he rescues and saves Jonah in this moment. Because Jonah deserves it? Absolutely not. Because God is gracious and merciful and kind. This is a picture of all of us in our salvation and our daily walk with the Lord. None of this is based on merit, right? That's what grace is. It's unmerited favor. Jonah receives God's unmerited favor. He didn't deserve to be saved. You know what he deserved? He deserved to sink to the bottom of the ocean and die. And it's a good thing that God is God and we are not, right? Because how many of us in the room would go, hey, you know what? I think that this is actually a pretty good teachable moment, right? I've got five kids. You've got kids. You've got grandkids, right? Like, like, like sometimes don't you just kind of let them kind of simmer and marinate in the teachable moment? Like, I'm not going to rush in there and, and save you too quickly, right? And neither does God, by the way. God gets Jonah to the point where he's like, fine, that's it. I realize that you're all I've got. He sank to the bottom. He didn't find a life raft on the surface, but, but God rescues him nonetheless, and it's unmerited favor, it's grace. So he experiences mercy. He doesn't get what he deserves, and he experiences grace. He gets what he doesn't deserve, which is salvation in this 
moment. Like I said, praise be to God that God does not respond to us the way that we would respond to us. You got yourself in this mess. You can get yourself out, right? But that's not how God responds in this moment. We see in verse seven, Jonah comes full circuit. He says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. So Jonah cries out to the Lord in a moment of desperation and says, God, you're all I got. It's all up to you. And God responds by sending a fish to save Jonah in this moment. We can't miss this, believer. Like this is a picture of our salvation and our daily walk with God that we are constantly receiving God's grace and mercy and kindness when we don't deserve it. It's a beautiful picture in here, and it, and, it, and it begins to help Jonah recognize some stuff and remember some things, right? So there's, there's three key things in here that I want us to go over real fast before we move on. The first one is this, that in this moment, with all the circumstances, Jonah recognizes his hopeless situation, all right? So this is critical for our understanding as, as it pertains to salvation and our daily walk, right? Like, like you cannot do this on your own. I know the culture around us wants to, to make us think that, that we're good enough, but the Bible paints a very bleak picture for us. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 says, you are dead in your trespasses and your sins, right? What do dead people do? Nothing. They do nothing. You didn't figure it out one day. You didn't piece this thing together and, and what? No, like God showed up in your hopeless situation, just like he did in, in Jonas. And he did something for you that you could never do for yourself. And Jonah recognizes this in this situation. Like, I am literally hopeless. I am powerless in this situation. God, if, if you don't do something, then I'm gone. Second thing we see that Jonah recognizes is what he deserves. This is also a critical component to us understanding God and ourselves, right? Like, like when we really understand what we deserve, it puts everything else in proper perspective, right? And the Bible tells us that what I deserve because of my disobedience and my sin is death and hell. I know that seems harsh, but it only seems harsh if we don't understand our sinfulness and God's holiness, when we understand how holy and perfect God is and how sinful we are, then, then we're, in, we're in proper alignment, right? We have, we have proper and right perspective. We understand what we deserve. I don't deserve to be rescued. I deserve to die at the bottom of the sea. Why? Because I have chose to rebel against God and him alone. But God doesn't give Jonah what he deserves. As we talked about, he extends grace and mercy to him. We see thirdly that Jonah recognizes that God has responded with that unmerited favor, right? And in this moment, we see that Romans chapter two, verse four, like it, like it all comes together. Romans two, four says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. You see, in the story, that's true as well. 
Jonah was still hard-hearted and running from the Lord when the storm is, was coming around him, when he's thrown overboard and all that stuff. Like God used that to bring him to the end of himself. But what ultimately led to Jonah's repentance is when he recognized God's kindness, when he was a recipient of God's unmerited favor. This is important for us. This is why we have to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day as believers. Listen, you're gonna fall short you're going to be disobedient. You're going to sin. That's not a, a license to go out and do whatever you want, but you will fall short even after saving faith. So what's, what's powerful for us? It's a, it's a powerful reminder that God is not going to respond to you the way that you deserve. Just like in salvation, God is going to continue to respond to you with patience and kindness in hopes to lead you to a place of repentance so that you might be restored Remember, the whole goal here is restoration. It's all about restoration. So remind yourself that I need Christ every moment of every single day. And even in my reluctance and my disobedience, God will lovingly bring me back to himself. That's what Jonah experiences in here. And he cries out to the Lord. God responds in an unbelievable way with providing him salvation. And then we see Jonah's response to God's grace. So look at verses eight and nine. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So we see that Jonah responds to God's grace with what? Praise. With praise. It made me think this week, like, like, when was the last time I praised God for my salvation? I, and I don't mean like a passing, like, man, I'm, 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 I'm pretty grateful that the, that the Lord's changed my life. Like, I mean like genuine praise to God for the salvation that he's provided me with. Some of us, we're not even very good at it on Sunday mornings, honestly. Like, like one morning a week, I was reminded of that this week as most of our favorite college football teams kicked off and began their first games, right? Stadiums packed full of people praising and, and yelling their guts out, right? And, 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 and maybe more, maybe more than they had been all year long to God. Just idol worship all around. Now, there's nothing wrong with watching your favorite team, but listen, as believers in Jesus Christ, again, when we recognize who we are and what we deserve and what God has done for us, despite us, we should be the most praise-filled people on planet Earth. You shouldn't be able to keep us. That's what the Bible talks about in Acts. I love that. that, that we can't stop talking about what we've seen and we, what we've heard. Like, listen, like, have you ever been asked to stop praising God? Hey, listen, you're going to need to calm down. Yeah, I, I promise you this. If we get to that place, me and Pastor Brian are going to be super pumped about it, okay? If, if we've got to announce from the stage, we need y'all to calm down. We'll be in a really good spot. We'll, we'll just be on our way to properly responding to God the way that he deserves to be responded to. But Jonah recognizes this, right? And he, he's gonna get it wrong again. So in the, this isn't the last time, but, but the whole idea here, though, is when you truly understand who you are and who God is, man, all you can do 
is praise, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Because I deserve death and hell and instead eternal life with you. That's why nothing in this life matters. You get that? Like, I'm not saying that things, I'm saying that it all pales in comparison. That's what Paul talks about. Like he knows what's coming and he knows what he deserves. And so like, listen, like it doesn't matter what I get in this life. It doesn't matter the hardships I have to face here. It doesn't matter the persecution because it all pales in comparison. You are worthy of my praise and that is it. And so then we see now as the story progresses, we look at verse 10 and we see now that God responds to Jonah's repentance with restoration. So check this out, verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. You know, in the original language, it's just as disgusting as vomited. That's the, that's the whole idea. We're supposed to have a graphic picture here, right? Like, like this is where you were at. You were in the depths in your hopeless situation, dead, or as good as dead, right? And now that you've repented, God's brought you back to a place of restoration. God speaks to the fish, vomit that man back out on dry land. We have work to do. And that's the part I don't want you to miss. Because God doesn't leave Jonah in the belly of the fish, right? Appreciate your repentant heart, Jonah, and then that's the end of the story. No. No, God recognizes, like, listen, now, now we can do something together. So he's thrown up onto the shore, and we see in chapter 3 that God comes to him a second time, and he recommissions Jonah. But God's response to Jonah's repentance is restoration, and that is so, so important for us to get this morning. That's where God is trying to get all of us. He loves us too much to leave us where we're at. He's gonna bring us back to himself. He's gonna bring us to the end of ourselves. He's gonna bring us to a place of repentance, all so that we might be restored. That's also the plan of salvation. It's not so that you could, you're, you're restored back to right relationships so that you can live for God and honor God and, and be about kingdom, kingdom things. That's what we see here in the, in the story of Jonah. So now God's brought Jonah all the way back. Jonah's repented and now God responds to Jonah's repentance with restoration. So I've got three quick takeaways for us this morning and they're very simple. They're all of the things that we've already seen in this in this story, but, but I want us to rightly apply them to our lives, all right? So takeaway number one is this, that God desires to use humble and fully surrendered people to accomplish his purposes. God desires to use humble and fully surrendered people to accomplish his purposes. Listen, this is what's so fascinating about God. God used Jonah in his disobedience in chapter one. So God doesn't need you fully surrendered and humble, but God desires for you to be humble and fully surrendered. See, a whole boat of pagan sailors come to faith in God and Yahweh despite Jonah's obedience. But we see in the story that God desires Jonah to be back in this place. Like I can continue to use you despite you, but like that's not how God, God rolls in the Bible. Like he's invited you into his story. 
His desire for you is humble surrender and obedience so that you might be a part of what he's doing. He's going to use you whether you want to be used or not. But isn't it so much better to think about the fact that you could go in being used by God, fully surrendered, and enjoy the things of God and see how he uses that to move and encourage you in your life? Like, that's God's plan. He's chosen to invite you into his story so that you might take the good news of the gospel to a lost and dying world and his desires that you would do it humbly and fully surrendered. We see this in the story that God used Jonah even in his disobedience, but God desired a fully surrendered Jonah and now he has him back to that place. And I can't help but think when I read this story that God's going, okay, now, now we can do some stuff. Now take this message to Nineveh so that they might come to saving faith. And we see, we'll see in the next couple weeks, God's still not done. Jonah is as hard-headed as we are. But God desires to use humble and fully surrendered people to accomplish his purpose. Number two, God is kind, merciful, and gracious in his dealings with us. Listen, I think think a lot of people that are Christians, they, they need to hear this. They need to understand this. I think so many of us, we have this wrong picture of God in our mind. I don't know if it comes from our experience here with what it, what it means to be a father and all that, but listen, God truly is loving and kind and merciful. He is not harsh in his interactions with us, although we deserve it, honestly. Like, like what God should and could do to us, he does not. But he's unbelievably kind and gracious towards us, right? Even in our rebellion, think about that. The Bible tells us that our rebellion is an affront to God. And the Bible also goes on to say, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So even in our rebellion, God is demonstrating his kindness Towards us. So it's just a powerful reminder to us this morning that God is kind, merciful, and gracious in his dealings. So listen, if you're running from the Lord, if you if you would say, like over the last three weeks, I feel like like I've identified with Jonah's story. Like that maybe that's where you're at in your life right now. Listen, God is not gonna meet you with harshness. God's not God's not standing around with a belt in his hand, just waiting to get his hands on you. God wants you to stop. And cry out to him and come back in a right and good relationship with him. You will be met with kindness so that you might repent, so you might be restored, which is number three. Number three is this. Your repentance will be met with restoration. If that's where you're at and you cry out to the Lord and you repent, you will be restored. I, I love the story in John. Turn to John chapter 21 with me real fast. We've got an Old Testament example in Jonah of God's, of God's desire to restore. Now, now turn over to John chapter 21 because John chapter 21, we, uh, we come across a, a passage in verses 15 through 17 dealing with Peter. If you remember before John chapter 21, Peter was more famously known for what? His failures, right? For denying Christ. He said, listen, even if everyone else turns away, I will not. 
And in his arrogance and in his pride, Jesus challenges him and he says, listen, Peter, you need to check it. You need to check your attitude on this thing because before morning, you're going to deny me three times. And you know, just from what we gather from scripture and Peter, I could just see like, all right, challenge accepted, right? And what happens? Before morning, Peter denies Jesus three times. And in his shame and in his guilt, the Bible tells us actually that he locks eyes with Jesus. And you can only imagine what that must have felt like for Peter. But what I love about Scripture, and particularly about the Gospel of John, John's the only one that goes back and revisits this. John doesn't leave us with this idea of Peter in his disobedience and his failure. He leaves us with our understanding of Peter as a restored man. This is what I love about Christ. Look at verse 15 of John chapter 21. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, which by the way is the name that he first used for Peter the first time they met. This is a recommissioning, if you will. Jesus is so intentional about everything in this moment. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Why is he asking him that? Remember, even if everyone else walks away, I won't. So now Jesus is picking at it and he's going, hey, listen, do you, do you love me more than the rest of these guys? You said that you wouldn't leave even if they did. Do you love me more than them? And, and he responds, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time. So you know what's happened in this moment? It's hitting him. Peter's getting it. He's going, okay, I see, I see what you're doing here. I've denied you three times. And now three times, very intentionally, Jesus forces Peter to say, I love you, Lord. Why? Because he wants him to know that this is about his restoration. He's bringing Peter back. Saying, listen, you're not going to be known from this point forward for just your failures. I want to use you to accomplish something. And I cannot use you to accomplish something if you stay here. You've got to be restored. And in your restoration, what does God do? God uses Peter in an unbelievable way in the book of Acts. Thousands upon thousands of people come to saving faith. Why? Because Peter allows Jesus to restore him. So he has a repentant heart that leads to restoration so that he might be about kingdom work. And that's what we've seen all throughout this. This is what Jonah's about. You gotta get you back to a place, Jonah, where you understand that your repentance is ultimately for restoration so that you can be about my work. And that's where we see God bring Jonah. So that's our final takeaway. Your repentance will be met with restoration. So if that's you, if you've just been in active rebellion against God in sin and in disobedience, and you're wondering, God, can I come back and what will it take? All it takes is you crying out to the Lord and Jesus is gonna meet you with kindness 
and he's going to restore you so that you might be about his work. So I was, I was telling the first service, man, aren't you thankful for chapter two? I'm thankful for chapter two. Because if the story ends in chapter one, it's just brokenness and hopelessness. But because we have chapter two, we know that the story is about salvation and forgiveness and mercy and restoration. That's God's heart for you. He desires a relationship with every single person in this room. For those of you that have never had a relationship with you, with Christ, that's what he wants you to know. There's nothing that you've ever done, too many sins. You, you can't go so far that you're out of the reach of God. You've not done so much that you can't experience his grace and his forgiveness. And he wants you to know that this morning. For the believer in the room, he wants you to know that, listen, you can keep running and you can keep going. But his desire for you is to come to the end of yourself once again, repent so that your relationship with him might be restored. And, and how is that process done? Just like Jonah, you just cry out to the Lord right where you're at today and that's it. He's, he's right there with you again. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. God, we thank you for the challenge of it, God. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, we thank you that you have dealt with us so kindly. God, when we deserve nothing but harshness and punishment, God, we are met with unbelievable mercy and forgiveness. And God, we are thankful for that. And I pray that you help all of us in the room to respond to that now as we sing to you. God, I pray that we would sing praises to you like we really understand what you've done for us. God, for the believer in the room who's been in this place, God, I pray that you would just show them that you're trying to bring them to the end of themselves for their good. And that if they would cry out to you, God, they will be met with kindness and restoration. God, for the person in the room this morning that does not have a relationship with you, I pray, God, that you would show them that they are still in a hopeless situation apart from you. God, that you are their only hope. You are the only one that can provide salvation through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So I pray that they would respond this morning by putting their faith and their trust in you and you alone for their salvation. We pray this in Christ's name.